Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, how does the CIA go about recruiting young people who are increasingly skeptical of government institutions and also not exactly covert about their lives on social media? Plus, a dictionary of fake words for very real feelings. And are we cautiously eyeing an end in sight for the supply chain issues? Kind of. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Ever since social media really got going in earnest, there's been all kinds of jokes and cynical warnings about what will come back to haunt people once they're grown up and applying for jobs, especially government and public service jobs. And it's been happening. You know, there have been plenty of problematic tweets that have gotten dug up, especially from actors and comedians. We also get occasional flickers of joy, like Timothy Chalamet's old Xbox controller modding YouTube channel. There was Virginia House delegate member Dana Kareem's heavy metal band and Beto O'Rourke's punk and hacker past. House Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's old class project Listomania music video was shared around early on in her political career. And fellow Representative Madison Cawthorn's gleeful Instagram posts from visiting Hitler's vacation home weren't apparently enough to deter voters. The era of being able to leave your embarrassing younger self in the past is effectively over for most people. Though I do feel like we're still waiting for a political candidate to surface who, like, ran a Stan account on Tumblr as a young teenager or something. Journalist Jessica M. Goldstein was thinking along the same lines recently when she went to the CIA's headquarters in Langley, Virginia, to find out how exactly they're managing to recruit young people for covert jobs when their entire lives have been splayed across the internet, both intentionally by themselves and less consensually by their parents, sometimes, as Goldstein puts it, before they even gained sentience. But it turns out, Goldstein found after talking to former members of the agency and sitting down in person with the associate director for CIA talent, Michael Burns, having a social media presence doesn't hurt a candidate's chances at all. In fact, if they get into covert ops, it often helps. Lisa Maddox, one of the former CIA employees Goldstein spoke with, told her, quote, The CIA is a pretty modern, savvy organization. They want and encourage most officers to have a social media presence because, quite frankly, it's a red flag and looks strange if you don't. You've got to blend in and look normal. I would argue that some of the Gen Z and younger folks, their networks are so huge online, it's almost a blessing. You can't figure out who their close friends are because they're friends with everybody. It almost negates the exposure, end quote. And Burns added that someone absolutely should not abandon their online life the minute they get a job at the CIA. That would definitely be a red flag. And Maddox also shared one detail that makes a lot of sense and I think adds to why even as millennials start entering higher levels of public office, we haven't seen too many awful or embarrassing posts resurfacing. She said, quote, Most folks that are applying to jobs in the intelligence community have kind of prepared themselves and their portfolios and lifestyles for such an application, end quote. Goldstein adds that these candidates are smart enough to have always been semi-anonymous and vague users of social media, or to at least go through and delete any old posts that might cause alarm. And once a recruit is hired, 
if they are chosen for covert ops, which applicants don't know if they will when they first apply, a public social media account still isn't a detriment. Contrary to popular knowledge, going undercover rarely involves taking on a whole new identity. Rather, Douglas London, a veteran of the CIA's clandestine service branch, explained to Goldstein, you leverage your existing profile. You lean into things that are already true in your life. And on social media, you would just make sure to avoid exposing any vulnerabilities. Cover is oftentimes just saying that you have some position that you don't really, or saying that you are in a place for a different reason than you actually are. But the more all of this is built on factual truths about your life and circumstances, the the more foolproof it is. And whether it's those covers for status or action or the rare cases of actual disguise, the CIA has had to update all of its techniques to cover people's tracks digitally. But Goldstein wasn't able to get the details on a lot of that. But for all this concern Goldstein has about if Gen Z and younger millennials are hireable by the CIA due to their social media trails, the bigger question is, do any of them even want to work there? The CIA is apparently well aware of how far they've fallen in the eyes of younger folks who are critical of the agency's methods and the point of the institution at all. The agency has been working for several years on a bit of a rebrand to appeal to younger applicants. Active social media pages, a website redesign, bringing along younger and more diverse agents on college visits, and apparently it's kind of working. An agency spokesperson told Goldstein that their 2021 class was the third largest in a decade and the most diverse talent pool since 2010. So if you suddenly get a hankering to become a government spy but worry all those Brendan Fraser memes you've posted over the last five years will 86 your chances, just know that they probably want you more than they care about your weird meme taste. So a new book came out last week that was over 10 years in the making, and that making was largely public on Tumblr and later YouTube and spread around a ton of other places like TED Talks, inspiring album titles and tattoos, and even being featured on Kotki.org back in 2010. But somehow, all of that escaped my knowledge, and I'm so disappointed to only be discovering it now, but also very grateful that I finally am, because it is absolutely brilliant. It is called The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. If you are one of the millions of people who have heard of it before, I apologize for being so late to the game. Please indulge me as I rave about it for the next few minutes, but if you have somehow also missed it until this moment, welcome. The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows was started by John Koenig in 2010 and is filled with words that he made up but are nonetheless precise and evocative, so perfect you'd be forgiven for thinking they already existed. Author John Green once described the project as creating, quote, beautiful new words that we need but do not yet have. End quote. Koenig creates the words by pulling from his research on etymologies, using root words from various languages. For example, olacy, which is the sadness that there's no way to convey a powerful memory to people who weren't there at the time. Koenig notes that olacy is a contraction of auld lang syne, which is Scots for times long past. End quote. There's also midding 
defined as, quote, feeling the tranquil pleasure of being near a gathering but not quite in it, hovering on the perimeter of a campfire, chatting outside a party while others dance inside, resting your head in the backseat of a car listening to your friends chatting up front, feeling blissfully invisible yet still fully included, safe in the knowledge that everyone is together and everyone is okay, with all the thrill of being there without the burden of having to be. End quote. And that comes from the Middle English midden, meaning a refuse heap that sits near a dwelling. And before Koenig started adding a lot of etymological sources, there were some more standouts. I particularly like enumal, which Koenig defines as, quote, the bittersweetness of having arrived here in the future, where you can finally get the answers to how things turn out in the real world, who your baby sister would become, what your friends would end up doing, where your choices would lead you, exactly when you'd lose the people you took for granted which is priceless intel that you instinctively want to share with anybody who hadn't already made the journey, as if there was some part of you who had volunteered to stay behind, who was still stationed at a forgotten outpost somewhere in the past, still eagerly awaiting news from the front. End quote. There's also Nighthawk, which is, quote, a recurring thought that only seems to strike you late at night, an overdue task, a nagging guilt, a looming and shapeless future that circles high overhead during the day, that pecks at the back of your mind while you try to sleep, that you can successfully ignore for weeks, only to feel its presence hovering outside the window, waiting for you to finish your coffee, passing the time by quietly building a nest, end quote. When Jason shared the dictionary on Konki.org shortly after it launched in 2010, he shared two other definitions that I still love, more of terms than the neologisms Koenig created as the project went on. The first I just like because it references Back to the Future. It's the McFly effect, quoting Koenig's invented definition, quote, the phenomenon of observing your parents interact with people they grew up with, which reboots their personalities into youth mode, reverting to a time before the last save point when they were still dreamers and rascals cooling their heels in the wilderness, waiting terrified and eager to meet you for the first time, end quote. And then there's this one that feels absolutely ahead of its time. It's taken on a whole new relevance in our social distancing era. The term is contact high five, and Koenig defined it as, quote, an innocuous touch by someone just doing their job, a barber, yoga instructor, or friendly waitress, that you enjoy more than you'd like to admit, a feeling of connection so stupefyingly simple that it cheapens the power of the written word, so that by the year 2025, aspiring novelists would be better off just giving people a hug. End quote. Some of Koenig's words he also made into very affecting YouTube videos, which is part of what helped his project really spread five or six years ago. And being that in addition to running this project, he is also a video editor, graphic designer, and voiceover artist, you can imagine how well done the videos really are. He says that the 300-page book includes video-like essays as well as other worldly illustrations and lots of thoughts on language and the meaning of life. And the cover art, at least, is amazing. It's black with gilded text and stardust. I'd buy it just for that, but knowing the wonders that await inside make it even better. Koenig describes the book and larger project as having a mission to, quote, shine a light on the fundamental strangeness of being a human being. End quote. 
And in shedding that light on the strangeness, his invented words have a way of bringing us all together as well, shedding light on our shared humanity, strange and often indescribable as that humanity may be. Link to dig into both the virtual and print versions of the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows is in the show notes. Well, just as the Chicago Tribune broke the news that Beanie Babies are catching rides on chartered cargo planes in order to avoid the backlog of cargo ships on the West Coast and therefore make it under the tree before Christmas, the Wall Street Journal is cautiously predicting that supply chain problems are beginning to ease up. That said, don't expect it to get super better until well into the new year. Quoting the Wall Street Journal, In Asia, COVID-related factory closures, energy shortages, and port capacity limits have eased in recent weeks. In the U.S., major retailers say they have imported most of what they need for the holidays. Ocean freight rates have retreated from record levels. Still, executives and economists say strong consumer demand for goods in the West, ongoing port congestion in the U.S., shortages of truck drivers, and elevated global freight rates continue to hang over any recovery. The risk of more extreme weather and flare-ups of COVID-19 cases can also threaten to clog up supply chains again. An easing of supply chain choke points would allow production to move toward meeting strong demand and would lower logistics costs. If sustained, that in turn would help alleviate the upward pressure on inflation, end quote. In particular, output at factories in Asia, including in Malaysia and Vietnam, have rebounded over the past month following slowdowns caused by COVID-19 outbreaks over the past year. This is especially good news for the production of semiconductors and textiles. But factory owners say shipping costs and the number of workers that are choosing not to return remains a challenge for them. The shipping container situation is also in a getting better but still pretty bad state. Quoting again, The number of ships waiting to unload at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, the biggest U.S. gateway for imports from Asia, has improved but is still hovering near record levels. There were 71 container ships anchored offshore on November 19th, down from a peak of 86 three days before, according to the Marine Exchange of Southern California, and 17 more were expected to arrive within three days. Before the pandemic, it was unusual for any ships to anchor offshore. Thomas Brocha, managing director of Foshan Ufeng Furniture Company based in Guangdong province, said that in September, he wasn't able to ship any products because he was unable to secure space on even a single shipping container that month. While the company has been able to book more containers since October, it still takes days until it can confirm bookings with vendors. Prices remain three or four times what he paid before 2020. Freight railroads recently lifted their limits on inbound cargo into congested container terminals in the Chicago area, but boxes are still swamping the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, and shipping executives note the backlog of vessels offshore suggests the flow of inbound shipments isn't letting up. End quote. Experts expect things to clear a bit after Christmas shopping season and the Lunar New Year holiday shutdowns, which means we're still a few months away from things getting much better. In the meantime, Beanie Babies will continue getting chartered flights to Chicago O'Hare for a brief layover before making their way to your kid's stocking this December. And I think someone needs to write that very 2020 children's book.
Well, tomorrow is Thanksgiving here in the U.S., which means Ride Home is taking the day off. And we're taking Friday off as well, so no new episodes of the Kotki Ride Home until Monday. Why not check out some episodes from this time last year that you might have missed? Or, of course, you can always listen to our sister show, The Tech Meme Ride Home, where host Brian McCullough keeps you up to date with everything you need to know in the world of tech. Or, of course, you can always visit kotki.org for a more visually oriented version of what I do here. But whatever you consume and whether you are celebrating anything or not this week, I hope you have a good and safe rest of your week. And in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to the show day in and day out or just every now and then. It is an absolute joy to produce this show and share it with you. I'm so grateful that there are other folks out there who are equally passionate about the pursuit of interesting, enlightening, and sometimes straight up weird knowledge. So thank you all for listening. And with that, I will leave you for the week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Ever tried reading while jogging, cooking, or even juggling flaming torches? Yeah, doesn't end well. But with Audiobooks.com, you can conquer books without the circus act. Dive into over 450,000 titles, including more than 10,000 free ones. Get hooked on a bestseller. Find your next obsession. Or finally read that classic you've been avoiding since high school. And here's the inside scoop. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial and snag your first three audiobooks on the house. Sign up for your free trial at audiobooks.com slash podcast free today. That's audiobooks.com slash podcast F-R-E-E.